Hello and welcome to the Hoosie Podcast with me, Phil. And me, Paul. And on this month's podcast, we're going to return once again to the Target novelisation. And this time we picked a third Doctor story, and that is Doctor Who and the Autumn Invasion, otherwise known as the Spearhead from Space. But first, let's go for the news that's been occurring since we've uh, since we've been off air. And now, first up, we have some awards news. Uh, now, Rosa um, has won something called a Visionary Arts Award. Uh, this was announced on the on the ninth of February in the in the news items, um, and yeah, basically it was. Um, I think it's that these awards are given to celebrate culture, media, and entertainment that have made a positive social impact uh, via television, film, music, theatre, literature, radio, um, and grassroots community. It says there. So um, so the episode written by Mallory Blackman and Chris Chibnall uh, won the award. Um, and it was, I think, it was actually presented at um, at BAFTA, as I as I understand right. it. So, uh, do you think it's well deserved, Paul? Um, yeah, under the um, remit of what the awards are, then yeah, I thought so. I think so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it was uh, well recognised. That would make people think and look into history and where we are now. Yeah, I think it was uh, as a um, if you sort of think of it as, as like the standard episode of that series. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah, it probably deserved to win the award, really. But um, I think I think everybody sort of liked that episode. Then it's sort all. Of, it, I think it the series sort of tailed off for people after the, after Rosa. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, no, I thought, no, well deserved, well deserved. It really was. Um, I think it was. <laughs> This is old news for a lot of people, obviously, but um, yes. but for, but for us, we're uh, we're going over the last month. So no, congratulations to to uh, to Mary Blackman and Chris Chibnall. So he's uh, he's first to all as as a writer of Doctor Who. Yes, or as the showrunner of Doctor Who. So will there be more? I ask myself. Will there be more? No comment from Paul. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay then. Right now, um, so. Another sort of uh, news item that sort of piqued my interest, actually, there's the, um, years ago there was a, I say years ago, 1968 actually this was released, the BBC Radiophonic Music album um, was released, and it's sort of long, long out of circulation. Well, it's going to be re-released in uh, this month, actually, by Silver Screen. Um, now, this isn't just all to do with Doctor Who, this is different pieces uh that the bc radiophonic workshop wrote um over the years um and the only one i could sort of like i don't know if it's even related to the show is tomorrow's world and look at on the um, on the track list in there um but i mean some of their stuff is pretty avant-garde if you have you ever heard of it, any of their stuff paul uh bits and pieces but yeah because I, I remember um i think it's bbc radio 4 extra Excuse me. Did um, like a, it was one Saturday morning. De- devoted it to the Radiophonic Workshop. Um, there was little sort of different documentaries um, about the various sort of composers there, and they played a lot of the a lot of that stuff from this sort of particular period, sort of like the sixties. Um, so it's very very strange actually, but um, but interesting at the same time. Very interesting. So I'm. Yeah, I don't think track 16, Happy Birthday by Delia Derbyshire, gets sung at many parties. (laughs) No, I don't. (laughs) Oh, dear. Yeah, I must admit, there's nothing on that. Or or about the frogs wooing. I don't think that that sort of gets played at parties very much either, actually. So. Yeah. So, or. um, Well, I'm not even. How's this pronounced? (laughs) So <laughs> whiz whiz ooh <laughs> by Delia Derbyshire. <laughs> that's that's pretty much the rendition everyone remembers. Phil, don't worry. <laughs> well, that's my own personal take on it, and I've made it mine. I think you'll find actually. <laughs> Always a favourite yours, karaoke. That one. Oh, it is, isn't it? Yeah, it's the only one I can sing in tune. You know. So. <laughs> No, um, no, I don't actually. This is going to be released um, on the fifteenth of March um, from Silver Screen. Um, I don't actually have a price in front of me um, at the moment, but if I uh, click on the Silver Screen thing, and it's going to take me quite a while to find out where that is. So, um, no, <laughs> no, I'm 
no, I don't know. I don't know what the what the cost that's going to be, but um, but I I might I th- I'm severely tempted, whatever the price. To be honest, yeah. Con- considering, um, I'm the person that paid a huge amount of money for um, Tristram Carey's um, double CD. It's long long since been out of uh, out of uh, circulation. So yeah, so I, I would I think I would definitely get in this. Thirty three tracks are on this album. Um, so yeah. Look out for that one. We want to say, look out for that one. I certainly will yes. be. Now, um, for those of you who don't know, um, I think people in the UK probably know, uh, this year is uh, court relief time again, um, which is going to be Friday the 15th of March. Same day as the um, that uh, BBC Radiophonic Workshop uh, album's going to be released, actually. So otherwise known as Red Nose Day. Um, now, there's a competition around at the moment. Uh, to win breakfast with Jodie Whittaker and Mandip Gill. Um, and it's a special private breakfast, it says here, on the set of Doctor Who. Oh. So um, so it's a chance for you and a friend um, to have breakfast with, with um, Jodie Whittaker and Mandip Gill. And it says, discuss the show, explore some theories, re- revisit some highlights. And then after breakfast, you'll go on a tour of the Doctor Who set. And you can watch uh, filming and meet the stars and, and you can speak to the crew who make the show as well. Um, now, apparently, this is all da- uh, depending on uh, filming schedules as well. Um, now, entries can be made online and cost £10. Um, I think I actually did have a quick look. You can buy £10 for one, for one entry or £20 for two entries to increase, and I think it goes up in, in tens. Um, yeah. Per, per, so you, can, you increase your chances if, if you want to. Um, now, the to enter, you must be over the age of 18, and your guest um, may be under the age of 18, but must be over 14 years old. And the winner is their parent or guardian. Mm-hmm. So, so you, anyone, can't, you just can't randomly can't grab any 15-year-old off the streets. and take. Well, do you know you. what? I, I was actually thinking this would be great for my son to go, Scott, to go to. But then he's only six. And when I read that, I thought, oh, well, I, I thought if I, if I win it, I can't take him. Hmm. Which which would which would wouldn't be wouldn't be fair on him. So, um, but there you go. I mean, hey, whatever. En- enter it anyway. It all goes towards uh, current relief. So, there you are. There you are. So, um, I think we might put the uh, the link to to enter this on our website. Uh, we'll, we'll put it up in the show notes. So uh, so yeah. cl- Click on our website to to find it if you're if you're interested. Uh, now. Doctor Who gaming news. Now, um, who remembers Doctor Who Legacy? Do you remember oh, that, Paul? <laughs> just, just couldn't couldn't put it down. <laughs> well, I played it for a bit, and I just got a bit bored with it, to be honest. Um, I think yeah, it did have some some diehard fans there. Um, now, it was actually released in 2013. Um, it was to coincide with the 50th anniversary. Well, it is now set to close. Um, now that was on actually by the time this podcast has gone out it would have closed um, to be honest because um, this was announced on this new particular news outlet on the 3rd of Feb um, and it it said it will be um, shutting down effective two weeks from now two weeks ago yeah two weeks ago basically so it's gone it's absolutely it's gone Um, it did have have quite a big um, a big following you know, but it says you know, it says, yeah. it just but it just said the current license to operate the game is ending shortly, and developers have decided not to renew it. That's it, really. So no I suppose only for them. Well, do you know what? I mean, I suppose there's only so far you can take this game, really. Yeah, it's pretty much the same thing over and over again, really. Um, that's why I got bored with it fairly quickly. I suppose if you want to collect all the different characters and, and variations on characters and whatever, then fair enough. But uh, it didn't hold my interest for long. Put it that way. No. It really didn't. So, um, but that 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 so that's a uh, that that was free free to play as well, which in this day and age is quite um, <laughs> yeah quite quite a rare thing. So um, yeah. So whether there be anything else to take its place, sort of going that ilk, who knows? But um, there was a one of those. So whilst we, we were away, that more gaming news actually. There was another of those um, special midnight announcements um, from, uh, from from the BBC, and, and everyone was thinking, "Oh, what what can it be? Is it missing episodes? Is it going to be announcement of Jodie Whittaker's leaving the show, or 
Doctor was going to be actually going to be back this year instead of 2020. But no, what it was was a Doctor Who virtual reality special. It's going to be called um, Doctor Who The Runaway, um, which is coming soon from the BBC. Um, if, if you've got a virtual reality headset, you can play the game. I don't have one. Um, and I guess a lot of people out there probably haven't. So it would. So if you want to play the game, or whatever the hell it's yeah. called, this this VR film, whatever it is, um, then you can. You have to go and buy yourself a VR headset. Yeah. And it, and this uh, VR film runs for twelve minutes. So again, I, I don't really see the point to this. Uh, yeah. I'd, yeah. I'd... I suppose whether it's this is this is this is a sort of oh they want to test their use of VR stuff and this seemed to be an interesting way of doing it. I don't know. I don't know, but I mean, I, I've, I've let I've sort of lumped this under gaming news. It's not really gaming news. You're just watching a VR film, virtual reality um, film. But basically, it's a virtual reality version of the TARDIS. Um, Jodie Whittaker is going to reprise her role. Um, it's a interactive story, lasts about twelve minutes, and it and it does actually say on selected VR headsets. Right. So and you're just worried you're going if you went out and spent your money and got your VR headset sooner or later it's going to be gathering dust along with your 3D glasses. Yeah. <laughs> Cry, I can't remember the last time I got the 3D glasses out at home. Actually, I don't think I've um, I think I tested them out once and then. Yeah. Well, because well, because I have to wear glasses anyway all the time. Putting on those, the TV 3D glasses just didn't work. I couldn't see anything, so I couldn't see anything in 3D. That was it, basically. So. You wanted to be able to clip them on like the sunglass things, didn't you? Well, yeah, <laughs> so would, that, that, that would that would be preferable if I'm honest. But <laughs> you could go into to. Uh, a, a well-known optical retailer and ask them if they can get 3D glasses, prescription 3D glasses. I could ask them. I think they're told where to go, but I could ask them. <laughs> yeah, so um, so apparently in this this thing you, you get the chance to be the Doctor's companion and um, there you go. But yeah, if you if you if you if you if you've got a VR headset, um, this is for you. Or if you want to buy a VR headset just to play this, this is for you, but I can't be bothered. So and I dare say a lot of people out there won't be either. But but I think the thing was a lot of people were sort of like oh another disappointing midnight announcement. Yeah. You know um, I mean I think I I think I tweeted and put it in a Facebook group shortly after midnight and I, I didn't stop especially for it I just happened to be oh, up anyway lie. so don't lie. Oh dear. Oh no no we, we I think people have been stung before I think the last midnight announcement was when class was announced and everyone, I think everyone scratched their heads over that one but yeah. But uh, yeah, okay, okay. Now um, to finish off the news, we finish with sad news that the uh, writer Graham Curry, who wrote the Happiness Patrol, uh, which was a 1988 story for Sylvester McCoy and Sophie Aldred as Ace, um, has died at the age of 54. Um, I think it's come as a shock to, to those that um, to those that knew him. Yeah, actually, um, I think he's, he, he says he had a. He's had a serious illness, um, but 54, that it really is, considering now that's no. not my child than us now, Paul, is it? Let's be no. perfectly honest. Um, yeah, that's that's quite um, very, very sad. Um, now, th- now, this was, um, this this story also features Sheila Hancock um, as a character called Helen A., which was now known to be based on Margaret Thatcher, um, which was, well, I suppose very, very topical in 1988, really, wasn't it? That was the the height of uh, Thatcherism, I suppose you could say. I mean, just working out, he must have been in his early twenties. Yeah. Wrote that. Yeah, I know. Oh God, that's making me feel old and all. Bloody hell. But uh, but he's one and only script for Doctor Who. It seems. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know why he didn't go into well, but it got cancelled. That's probably why. Yeah. He could have written many more in the next ten years or so. They're never going to be filmed, <laughs> were they? But uh, no, he did go on to write um, Freestenders and the Bill, um, and it says a Radio Four drama called Citizens as well. I'm right. not familiar with that one, but uh, no, I don't know. No. I probably must familiar with the Bill out of all of that, to be honest with you. But, uh, yeah, is, I mean, <laughs> is, is the Happiness Patrol something? Because I must admit, I've only watched it a couple of times. The Happiness Patrol. It's not. Um, I don't. 
tend to dip into the McCoy era too much if, I, if I'm going to yeah. break out a DVD. I was going to say that McCoy is probably not... wasn't really necessarily my era when I was watching Doctor Who, let alone... No. So, so there's no. no necessarily fondness to go back to it. No. I mean, to be honest, I, I, I sort of, like yourself, I dropped out sort of midway through Colin Baker's tenure. Um, yeah. I occasionally watched the odds. Um, Sylvester McCoy one but not religiously like I used to I could go to the pub then what did I want to well start? yeah I precisely I think that you. I think that was it I think that was the thing I got got to that age and I thought well no I'm, I can there's, there's other things that interest me now unfortunately but <laughs> and then sadly now we've reached the age we have our ability to do those things has dwindled <laughs> and we're now back watching Doctor, Doctor Who I know <laughs> full circle mate full circle <laughs> yeah it draws you back in again. You can't help it. So uh, now it's very, very sad. Very, very sad indeed. So yeah. uh, okay. Well, that wraps it up uh, for the news for this month. So coming up next, we're going to be discussing or just chatting about really um, Doctor Who and the Autumn Invasion from uh, Target. So for another month, then that was the news. everybody we're gonna have a little discussion now about um the target novelization of spirit from space called doctor who and the auton invasion uh this one was written yet again by terence dix and this was released on the 17th or first release on the 17th of january 1974 and it was actually the um the first novelization commissioned by target um because i think the last previous books were in the mid 1960s so this this was the one that sort of kick-started it all again um and it's my turn to uh, kick this conversation off, isn't it? Yeah. I so, mean, f- f- first of all, just to yeah. say that one of the interesting things was mm. literally the length of the book. All right, okay. The fact that this must be probably the longest target novelization for a four-part series. By coming in at 170-odd pages. Oh right, okay. Do you, do you know what? I, I must admit, I I read th- through this rather rather quickly, and I don't mean I just sort of skimmed through it because I I yeah. just enjoyed reading this. I I couldn't yeah. sort of put it down, and I have read this um, numerous occasions uh, to be honest. Because this this is one of the first books I got out of the library right. when I was a kid. Because I was always getting Target books out of the library, um, and sort of. Because back then, that, that's all we had, wasn't it? We, we yes. If if you wanted, because obviously when we were kids, um, really sort of, it was Tom Baker. I mean, I've I remember watching John Pertwee on the TV, but that was very sort of Green Death onwards. I can sort of remember. So his early stuff, it never got repeated. I don't remember any of it at all. Um, so yeah, th- this is this is your only route to it. Through Netflix for something to watch. It was. We it really the, was. We went to the library and got a book. It was. <laughs> you know, um, and I think it was the the thing that that, that sort of disappointed me most um, when I first saw Spirit from Space was the fact there was no octopus, big octopus creature. No. Um, like there is on the front cover, because um, obviously we're, we're we're doing our usual uh, book to to television comparison here as well um and i must say that there was quite a, a large number of differences in this one isn't there yeah but not that made the i think story that took the story anywhere new no no it, it i think it's the one thing i think you... it, it was a bit of sort of almost tidying up wasn't it by well, it was it was As t- Terence Dix likes to do with yeah, novelizations. It, it was tidying up. Um, it was also expanding and or giving a bit more backstory. Yeah, to characters as well, um, which, which I which I which I think Terence Dix is really really good at. To be honest, I think he's, he's I think he's one of my my like him and Malcolm Hulk are two of my favourite um, target yeah. writers. To be honest yeah. with you, um, really yeah. am. But um, well, no, I, I like the fact. I mean, the, I mean, obviously, the book starts with a, a recap from the war games. 
Yes. Basically. Um, which is what I like about this book. You don't have to know your Doctor Who history because I think that the, the reason they included this was because, well, it, if you didn't know your Doctor, you picked it up and it starts off with basically your lead character unconscious for the first couple of chapters, really. Yeah. Um, so it, it sort of fills in that blank. So you don't, you, you don't have to come into this with any sort of um, preconceptions. It was definitely the Christmas invasion of its time, wasn't it? it well, yes, it was. It really was. Um, I, mean, I mean, I've got to be honest, I think this is probably one of the... I think it's my favourite um, sort of introductory story to a new Doctor. Yeah. I think it pretty, pretty much gets everything... Well, to my mind, it pretty much gets everything right. Yeah. I mean, and a lot of that is, A, the, the story, and B... I think Nicholas Courtney, who has to carry a lot of the early yeah. episodes. Yeah, he does. He does. Um, and to be honest, but, he, he also carries a lot of the book as well. That, yes. that, that That doesn't change, does it? No. I mean, really, he, I mean, he's technically... I mean, really, I suppose you could say that the, the Brigadier is really the lead character. Yes. To a certain degree in this story, because... Um, the the doctor only really comes into effect in sort of like the latter half of the story, and all the way through the brigadier he's still not quite trusting of the doctor, is he? Because this this no. stranger just just pitched up. He's he's got the TARDIS. He's a very clever scientist, but is he actually the doctor? And I, I do like that. It's always at the back of the brigadier's mind. Yeah, and it's not really to as we know, it's not to the end of the story that he sort of comes to accept, you know, the fact that you know this is the doctor. Um. But I, I, I mean, I like the. Um, was it some, some of these? He just wished he was just sort of sometimes just an ordinary soldier again, sort of like ordinary square bashing and you yeah. know doing parades and things like that. Um, which you, that kind of thing you don't get on the TV. No, when he says about the fact that it was a two-edged sword because it was the instant promotion. Yeah, but he sometimes feels out of his depth. Yeah. And I like that it made it made the, the the character a little bit more um, sort, sort of relatable. Yeah, really, doesn't it? He he, he wasn't you know it, it's that front of the brigadier is always you know confident and, and and sort of knows what to do. Well, he, at, at this point in Doctor Who's history, he was he, he came across as confident and knew what to do. But I like the yeah. fact that he you've got this like internal monologue going uh, you know, with the brigadier. Well, it, but it sort you know. of gets you that. Then you get the, with that sort of in your mind, when you get to the bit of, when he takes, when he, he's, he's trying to sell units at his shore. Yeah. You can see that it's actually, he's doing it more from a point of view, I need help. Yes. Rather than, it sometimes comes across on the TV as very much, you're the best person, we're having you. <laughs> Well, I, I think that's the other thing as well, because Liz Shaw is my my favourite companion. Yeah. Um and I thought she was really well written in this in this book because again, she's a lot more sceptical than she is on the TV. I think she's a lot more sceptical in what she says. Hmm. But of course you haven't got Caroline John's looks at some of the as things are being said, yeah, yeah. That well, actually, that's what obviously you know. You've got bit, to ex- you've got to expand on a look, haven't you? In a book, yeah. So. <laughs> I, th- I think I think the book the 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 line she's given in the book do- does at least help convey that. Um, yeah, the 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 fact that yeah, she's not just there to be pretty. No, exactly. Yeah. I mean, especially, especially actually in the TV, the 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 look she gives when was it General Scooby says about oh I must you know a pretty little thing or something like that isn't it Yeah. To... So did you say General Scooby? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Scooby. Rock the room. Um. Yeah, General Scooby. Yeah. Actually, I, I like. The general Scobie in the book, he's he's fairly um, in the TV version. He's fairly amenable to everything, really, isn't he? 
He's, yeah. for, for a general, he's fairly laid back. In the the book, he he's he's even I say not even more laid back, but he's certainly a lot more. He comes across as a lot more sympathetic to the brigadier. Yeah, and, and will do anything to help, basically. Which which I which I really liked. It's, it's, it sort of put a different spin on on the whole, you know, is the, the, on, on the whole regular army thing. That that sort of, I mean, this is the first time it sort of cropped up, didn't it? Because it says a lot yeah. of the the brigadiers at his, 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 his disposal are regular army; they're not unit troops. No. Which which I I I, I couldn't remember from <laughs> from previous readings or, or watching on, on on the television, but um, yeah, no. I mean, later on it just generally tends to be. Unit seems to have a have at least a regiment going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas, um, yeah, this, well, this very much it sort of he seems to have about ten people, doesn't he? Yeah, and that's that's his his lot. And yeah, he has to supplement that by the regular army. Well, I think the um, as I say, the, the characters I think are just written so well in this and they say you know they really do sort of expand anything and especially with the the Seelies as well um I mean yeah. Meg, Meg Seely um is even more distrusting of her husband yeah <laughs> in the books you know, he's always up to some um some tricks or whatever um and I do I do like the, the, the in the book where they're they're giving Seely a lift or as he sees it as, as a lift yeah, go get one of the what they call it thunderballs. <laughs> so, he just seen it as a free lift home. Eh? He did, didn't he? Yeah, I, I like that actually. So <laughs> we're sure it's in the TV. They don't, he don't. They don't even take him, do they? No, they don't. They don't. But um, so he's he's there at the you know to sort of help his or see what happens to his to his wife really. Um, but, you know, interesting because uh, we 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 did this as a commentary, uh, didn't we? Yeah, not that yeah. long ago. Mm. And I still thought in the TV TV uh, series that Meg Seeley had her neck broken by the Alton. I thought <laughs> and, she did. And I, when I was reading the book, I was thinking, "Oh, she gets she gets out of this alive in this." But then, actually, when you watch it, no, they're calling for an ambulance. She's just this is just not unconscious. Yeah, yeah, you don't even actually see that happening. No, you don't. I, yeah, exactly. I was. I was I, again. We misremembered that one. I thought she was killed. Yeah. 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 Someone, and that's actually why I thought in the TV they didn't take him with them because mm. they didn't want to do the scene of him, uh, obviously finding his dead wife. Yeah, exactly. But no, exactly. no, 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 she doesn't. She's just, she is just on the floor, and then they call an ambulance once the yeah. Alton has gone. I see. Now, interesting about the, um, I was sort of jumping around a little bit, but the, um, the Autons, because the when Hibbert is showing the the, the, the Doctor Liz and the, and the Brigadier around the factory um, in the in the book, the the mannequins he calls them Autons, and the, after yeah. the and the because the company's name is Auto Plastics, which yeah. doesn't get a name check in the TV version. Um, I suppose I mean that was really. Did, was that just a sort of to, to time with the Alton invasion bit? Really, I, I, I don't don't really know why the, why they sort of felt they need to call them Altons. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Know. Yeah, I, think, yeah. I, I, just, I just felt it was a bit of an un, on this occasion a bit of an unnecessary inclusion, just to sort of sort of try and tie the mannequins into the title of the story, perhaps. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. But I do like the description a little bit better. In the book, they just got sort of like, sort of like, almost like misshapen, lumpy faces. Yeah, they haven't quite got that um, that shop window dummy look. No, so much have they? Which you know you can understand that the mannequins would have. Yeah, but no, not just the general. What we, what we would call the Alton, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, I sort of, I sort of it, made, it made them sort of give them a bit more of an air of. Um, sort of threat, I, th- I think, a bit more. Yeah. You know, you could tell they weren't quite human. So no, I, I, I really like that inclusion. I think the um, now the other thing that did, did change massively was the description of Channing in the book. Yeah. 
because in the book he's a he's a young man, isn't he? Yeah, and they keep and they keeps. One thing did make me make me chuckle. He kept um, referencing the um, Channing's eyes all the time. Yeah, it's always if Terence Dix got hypnotised by him as well, so, as he was writing it. But but I um, no, I, I don't know what I prefer. Actually. I, I think I prefer the the TV Channing. Yeah, no, I think I think Hugh Burden does, does actually a very good job. Yeah, of uh, of playing that. Yeah, um, that role. It's that one bit, and I still think it's one of the most freakiest scenes from Doctor Who. Is when the, they're in the factory. Brigadier sort of looks round. He's aware of someone watching. He looks around, and he just sees Hibbert staring behind at him the through glass door. behind the glass. Yeah, and because it's that, um, I don't, I don't know what, what the pattern is on the glass, but it sort of breaks up Channing's face. You see, it's like it's got there's multiple pairs of eyes. It looks yeah. like staring at him. Um, but there's no music. There's 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 not a sound. He just sort of just looking at it and it sort of slowly backs away. It's really effective. Um, yeah. Which unfortunately, it's not in the book. No. No, they they see him. Don't they? Sort of peeking out from 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 beside a staircase or something. Don't something they? like that. Yeah. He's he's more sort of, sort of lurking in the background in the book, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. But. Uh, no, I did. <laughs> no, it's no. I do I, like you. Yeah, I do prefer the the TV channing um, as well. Certainly, yeah. No, um, I think I think that 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 is one of the 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 actual if more interesting Doctor Who humanoid villains. Really, yes, I think so. I think so. They do get a bit more of a um, a background in the book on how Channing came to be. How, yeah. how how he was made. You get a little bit of um, sort of like a flashback almost, don't you? They tell Hibbert how to to make him, don't they? And That's that right. Sort of yeah, yeah. So I thought that that was quite. Um... And it goes into a bit more into the the fact that these are only part of the the consciousness to a large extent that had been sent. Because mm. in the in the TV series, you only really mm. get that last line by the Doctor saying, "Oh, well, they're telepathic, so I guess they know what's hap- they know what's happened here." Yeah, yeah. But in that, it's pretty much goes into the fact that this was just a a small part of the the mind that was sent to to Earth. Mm. I mean, it's only Channing only really says it on the, on the TV version, and he sort of gives that away at the end. He sort of we we are the nestings, doesn't he? So yeah. that's that's the only sort of clue you. Like remember that you that you get that they are the, apart from what the doctor says that they are one. Yeah. Um but no, I I I think the um what's I gonna say? I think the I think the the scene we in the hospital because that that I think I always seem to recall in the TV that that sort of dragged on a little bit where the doctor's on cut on cut. I think that. I think that's one of the things that people always seem to, or maybe misremember about Doctor. When the, when the Doctor's first regenerated, he spends a lot of the time flat on his back. Um, yeah. Which, and actually, to be honest, he did spend quite a lot of time in, for, for a four-part story. Poe does spend a lot of it out of action. But it's not focused on him. It's not, is it? The story still goes on around him. Yeah. Which is what I really like. But in the, in the book, you get more of, of what goes on at the hospital. Um like this rivalry between Henderson and, and Lomax, because Lomax is the guy who does the blood results in, in phlebotomy, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. So um, they sort of hint at this more that they basically just don't like each other. Yeah. At all, which which I thought was um, it didn't have to be there, but it just again it, it just sort of rounded the character out a bit more, rather than yeah. okay, this is a doctor in A and E. You know, it, it it was a bit more to it than that, and the. And how actually Henderson oh, when- and Henderson sort of was quite frightened to the nurses because he was sort of, sort of quick to temper. Yeah. As well, which I thought was um, interesting and very, very much of its time as well, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't there was only one thing worse than Henderson, and that was low mass. Yeah, exa- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was. No, I thought a lot. But then again, I mean, even sort of like um, when and Hen- then when. And then oh, when the, the main, so I was going to say, when the the consultant person arrives, and all he's talking about is that yeah, let's, let's open him up and have a look. Yeah, so <laughs> it's almost like, oh please, please can I do an operation? It was <laughs> why not? If he's not human, then he hasn't got any rights, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was to that effect, really, wasn't it? But uh, no, that, that that was interesting. That was really interesting. But 
Now, wasn't it um, the book's different on how the Doctor arrives at unit as well? Because he's got a TARDIS detector, hasn't he? Yeah. Rather than just knowing where this top secret <laughs> unit base is, um, he's, he's got he's got this detector, which I think kind of makes more sense, to be honest. No, he does. He does turn up. He has got it in the TV. It's on his wristwatch. Ah, right. Okay. They don't make such a big thing about. Do you know, I completely forgot about that. They right. don't make such a big thing about it, do they? What What is interesting in the TV thing though is when he turns up at the unit head headquarters. He says, no, I haven't got a pass, and I'm not going to tell you my name. Hmm. So I'm thinking, but tell Leftwich Stewart I'm here, and I think well, that doesn't really give him a lot to go on, does not it? Not really, no. <laughs> but the guy on the door was the producer, so he was able to... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he knew exactly what was going on. <laughs> oh, dear. No, I think there's... Um, I think that... I was, we, we sort of skipped around a little bit in this, um, but I think yeah. the other thing that was massively improved upon uh, in, in in the book as well was when the Autons launched their attack. Yes, yeah. Um, you really do get the, the 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 scale of the invasion in the book, and and how how much they're cut off. Well. Like the uh, army uh, and, and actually all things, emergency yeah. services, they're just they're, that's they they're targeted first. Yeah. So you can't get any ambulances out or police or or, or fire uh, fire engines and. Yeah. The the fact that you also get the fact that the army are sent have been sent on manoeuvres as far away and remotely as possible. Yeah. From anywhere. So that it's difficult to get them back. The whole thing about the, why they've done all these duplicates of people in power and that was as much for misinformation yes it was it wasn't sort of like to they weren't taking over the world with them they was just going to use them to to stop any to to count to make it difficult to make a response yeah that's it that's it which doesn't necessarily come over that much in in on the tv you think they've actually they're just going to replace everyone with Duplicates, and that's how they're going to take over. But it's not. That's never necessarily their plan. It is literally no. just to be. I mean, that, the scene in the book where the the junior clerk or whatever it is realizes that his boss is giving false information mm. and goes in to confront him, and he's killed. Yeah, I thought it was brilliant. Which is just not in the. No, it's not in the, the TV. No, it's not. It's not. Which is which is. I suppose you know for a, a four part story, you're sp- and, and they haven't got the budget to, no, to, you know to to, to do it no. on that scale anyway. Um, no, t- totally. But it did sort of bring home exactly what they was doing there. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, I mean, the brigadier alludes to it in the TV version, um, but it's it's sort of discussed in a couple of sentences. Yeah, really. Um, but what you were saying about this same misinformation, the diverting troops everywhere, it, it was always the, like what um, the facsimile of Scobie did. Yeah, I mean, you get that on the TV as well, but now you, then you realise it's it's on a much larger scale. Yeah, the, the the whole the the you don't actually get the the fact that he's withdrawn all the troops. No, and taken the troops away from the brigadier. Yeah. Which you sort of then get the well, how many men have you got? Or well, just the staff of the this building, basically. Yeah. So um, no, it, I, it it really did sort of put that point across really, really well in the book. I yeah, think. it really did. Um, and the attack on the on the factory at the end um, is completely when, when Scobie turns up to sort of like to, you know to arrest Lethbridge Stewart. Um, it's when the brigadier confronts the regular army. Yeah, there's a, a longer conversation because basically the, the guy was going to shoot the brigadier, and, well, the, and, and the brigadier had to sort of like sort of like t- talking rounds really in, in the in the TV. Sort of like, right, I'm in charge now, um, and, and that was it, wasn't it? it was it's done- the fact that he advances on the the whatever he's sergeant or whatever. Yeah, basically. To, to bluff him and to, you know, to say to him, well, look, if you if you if you're gonna stop this, you are gonna have to shoot me. Yeah, that's it. 
So I, I thought that that was handled a lot better in the book as well. But you, you can yeah. understand why it's not included in the team for, for just purely for pacing mm. issues. Yeah, really. but it, but it's a good it's a good scene for the brigadier. Oh yeah, because it just says you know this is uh, he's not the. I mean, what you've always said about the brigadier becomes more bumbling as the as time goes by. Mm. This is definitely not in this, not in the TV, and definitely not in the book. No. As much as he may be rather wishing he was still part of a regular army with regular jobs to do. Yeah. He's, you know, there's always something he wants to, you know, he's never just flailing wildly around, not knowing no. what to do, is he? No, the sick. I mean, in, in, in the book, he actually, um, and it's the one time the doctor doesn't even try to stop him. Is that is he wants to do an all-out assault on the factory with as much hardware as possible? Yeah. And the doctor's just yeah, fine. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and it's only the fact that they get the replacement in for the general that stops him. Yeah. But it should go ahead anyway. But. Uh... No, I I thought it was that that was a really good bit. I think the um, actually I, I just remember something else about Sam Seely uh, Sam Seely as well. Not only does he see the meteorites come down in the book, he also sees the Tardis Got- landing as well. Yes. Um, now I can't quite understand why to include it because it didn't it didn't go anywhere that bit, did it? No. It just comes to it like a, I think it's like a little throwaway line in the book, sort of like well he, he after seeing or is it. He didn't get into any more trouble, did he? Yeah. He, he recognised who it was when he met, when he met the doctor, but he didn't want to say anything else because he was already in trouble over over the meteorites. Say something along yeah. those lines. Um, you can understand it if it was his his description of the the doctor landing, but you don't. It doesn't really happen like that, does it? Even really, no. You know that obviously in the TV you can just show the TARDIS arrive and the doctor fall out of it. Yeah, but in a book. You know, it, whether it was going to—I mean, whether originally the plan was when Terence Dix was trying to put it together, he was basically going to have that moment through the eyes of Seely, and then sort of didn't, but still sort of left the other bit in. Yeah, yeah, it could have been, could have been. But, uh, you don't know how things get rewritten. I mean, the th- I mean, I mean, the thing is, I mean, this—I mean, obviously, the, the TV script was written by Robert Holmes, um, yes, who is. I mean, who Terence Dix did and, and always will, um, you know, you know, sing from the rooftops. Yeah, you know, his praises. Um, and if you think about what well, the, the Robert Holmes' previous script was, the Crotons for Doctor Who, and then he delivers this. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, it's such a massive leap in quality. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Um, it just begins to make you make you wonder how how quickly the crops was was sort of knocked off because they were always having scripting problems, weren't they? In in yeah. Troughton's era, um, and by the time you get to this, maybe they're sort of like, okay, well, this is you got something to, to you, the whole thing. But the Doctor being stranded on Earth, maybe it made it easier for Robert Holmes to hang the story off of that premise. Yeah, because you're basing it around you. you you're your filling in bits are all relatable. Yeah, and I think I think Barry Letts and 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 because Terence Dix was the script editor at the time, I think they had a firmer hand um, on the show than, than yeah. perhaps Derek Sherwin did. To be honest, I think so. Anyway, I think so because I think that you know this Pertwee's first season for me is probably about as near damn as perfect a season of Doctor Who as, you, as we're ever going to get. Yeah. I really do. Um, it's, uh, and I think this story just sets the whole series off nicely. Um, and to be honest, I, I, I want to get through the rest of the Tolkien organisations for this particular series now. So, <laughs> right, it's going to be a long time before we get round to on the podcast. I think I might just read them in my spare time. To be honest with you, <laughs> but no, I, I thought it was great. I really did think it was great. Um, it's a fantastic book. Um, really, it's it. it it doesn't flag at all anywhere, does it? Even when no. they're sort of padding scenes out or adding in a bit of character development, it, it never drags at all. Never drags. And as you say, for a four-part story, 
for the TV. It's, it's quite a it's quite a long book, but it still yeah. it still goes for a, a nice quick pace. It's good. I mean, I, I was not aware of anything missing from the book that had been in the TV. Really, um, that that you know, from, from a point of view, if you felt that they just didn't really have the time to or the pages to put that in, you know. Um, I mean, I mean, obviously, yeah, ob- yeah. obviously, they didn't have the. Uh, Music rights to Fleetwood Mac. No, obviously not. <laughs> now, actually, didn't the and that's book... even different because there you've got a completely automated production line, haven't you? Yeah. Whereas it obviously isn't in the book. No, it's not. No, on the TV, I mean. Oh yeah, yeah, that way around. Yeah, I think that. Now, isn't the um, the bit where Unit is tracking? The meteorites missing from the beginning of the book yes. as well. It is, isn't it? Which was an odd bit to miss. Out. That was an odd bit to miss out. Yeah, because so it was skipped it at the expense of including the second Doctor's regeneration. Yeah, and I don't know why. I mean, yeah, certainly include the second Doctor's regeneration because I say you got to introduce this new Doctor um, and explain why he's a new Doctor as well. Um, but then cut that bit out. Whether he just liked the fact that you get that information through the Brigadier and Liz Shaw's conversation about yeah. the fact that yeah. you know, two lots of meteorites have landed in the same place mm. six weeks apart or whatever. Yeah, that's it. Whether he just liked it being told there rather than thrown at you right at the beginning that this is... I don't know. Yeah, it's Something. just a bit, bit odd. An, an, odd, an odd exclusion, that one. Yeah. Very odd indeed. Yeah, because so. also, I mean, that that is why UNIT are there, aren't they? Yeah. It's the fact that they are informed by those people that these meteorites have come down again. Well, actually, now sort of going back to the, to, to the end of the book, there's another slight difference as well, um, is that... There's a line the Brigadier says when he's sort of asking the Doctor to, to, to stay on as the scientific advisor. He said because it, it's obvious that Miss Shaw doesn't want to stay. And that's not in the TV show. And I think that's... No. I, I, I don't know whether that's actually true or not, that she didn't want to stay. Because she seems quite, you know, involved in UNIT and the help, helping the Doctor at that stage. Yeah. Because in the, in the TV version, it's just sort of like accepted, sort of like, well, Doctor's now a scientific advisor, and Liz Shaw's going to stay, stick around to help him. Yeah. Almost sort of like, well, almost almost like sort of second best, really. Yeah, but, I mean, it, it does come across like that, doesn't it? As if, you know, the... the oh, no, you know, there's almost a point where you just get in the and say, oh, we don't need to need you, Miss Shaw. No, exactly. Now the Doctor's here. Uh, yeah. We can dispense of your services. Thank you for coming. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's it, it's sort of like it's more in the book. It's more at the doctor's insistence that the um, yeah that, that Liz stays. I mean, I know okay in the in the TV sh- um, version as well. The doctors say you know he'll do it if if Liz stays on as well. Um, but it's not quite as on the nose as sort of like saying. Well, you're no longer needed, <laughs> Miss Shaw. <laughs> well, actually, in the book, in the book, he he does ask her. I think in the TV program, he just makes it a condition. Yes, she's got to stay. Yeah, I, th- I think the, she I, doesn't seem to have any say in that at all. In she the doesn't. TV. No, no. Now I think it's sort of maybe maybe in the uh, the book you're, then it's sort of the brig- both the brigadier and the doctor think she's not going to stick around. But. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're demoted. You're not going to be the scientific advisor. You'll be just the assistant to the scientific yeah. advisor. <laughs> and wear the brown lab coat instead of the white lab coat. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yes, the, pol- the politics of the science. People. Exactly. <laughs> oh dear. Okay. Well, I, I think that that pretty much. Um, so wrap wraps up what I want to say. Anyway, unless there's anything you want to add, Paul? Um, no, I don't think so. I think no, it's... I think the, you know the our recommendation. I know we, we always go through spoilers and these things, but I mean our recommendation really is definitely go and read this book. Yeah, it's great. It, it it enhances an already great story, as far as I'm concerned. 
It is funny though, I mean, because reading the book, and I'm sort of thinking to myself that stuff happens much later in the book than it does on the screen, and then actually when you watch it, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't, no. <laughs> no, it really doesn't. So, no, it, it's it's a really, really good read, this one. A really good yeah. read. So, okay, so that's an- another thumbs up from the Who's podcast there. So, uh, when we return in a month's time, well, I think we're back to Big Finish again, aren't we? Yes. Yeah. Um, can you remember which doctor we're up to? Uh, no idea. <laughs> Me neither. So, well, we'll pick one. We we mm. shall we shall pick one and uh, let you know what it is on our um, Twitter feed and um, and Facebook page. Yes, as well. So, um, but obviously, in between then, you you probably noticed the um, what's come out um, since we last recorded together. Where we've, I did a little Scratchman um, book review, and also we had. Um, Sort of, I say, series two of our companion specials. We just had one recently released uh, with Martin Havel from the Bad Wolf podcast, and there are many more to come. I'm glad to say. So we'll be releasing um, those sort of in between our our regular monthly output. Yes. So uh, so there we are. There we are. So um, that just about wraps up then, Paul, doesn't it? I think it does. I think it does. So until next time, then it is goodbye from me, Phil, and goodbye from me, Paul. Goodbye. Listening to the Who's He podcast. Please visit our website at who's-he-podcast.co.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at who's underscore he underscore podcast. And please also join the Who's He podcast Facebook group. The Who's He podcast is a member of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance.